I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Welcome to On the Continent, your definitive guide to the week in European football. I'm Dotton Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Nikki Bandini. On this business end of the season edition, the miracle of Juventus. 15 deducted points restored, but now they're playing a losing game. Also, can Dortmund win the Bundesliga? And just when Carlo Ancelotti thought Barcelona had run away with La Liga, can Real Madrid profit from their rival's latest slip-up? Andy and Nikki, always a pleasure, always a pleasure, mm-hmm. particularly when there's a lot to talk about in Italian football. Uh, we could start anywhere. Uh, Nikki, can we, though, focus on Juventus for a moment? And you might want to remind people why they were deducted 15 points to start off with. Gosh, God, this is, every time I have to tell a story, I think, how can I tell a version of a story that doesn't take an hour. Um, Juventus <laughs> were initially investigated along with um, a number of clubs um, starting in 2021 for accusations that they had um, deliberately overinflated the value of players in exchange deals um, to manipulate their accounts. Um, this was initially thrown out. Um, then um, a sort of concurrent um, investigation that was going on conducted by the um, Italian, by the Turin prosecutor sort of separate to the football system um led to some wiretaps and to some documents being found and and looked at and communications being intercepted and this all got handed over to the Italian Football Federation who said oh we think there's some fresh evidence here about Juventus and their um behavior when it came to um accounting practices basically and we're going to reopen an investigation um that led to them receiving a 15 point penalty earlier this season um it was um appealed um to the 
uh, Italian Olympic Committee, which has a court which is effectively the highest sporting court within Italy and now has been... I keep sort of not knowing quite how to phrase this. It's not really been overturned. It's been temporarily vacated. The Italian Olympic Committee doesn't actually have the authority to rule on the merits of the case, just on the process, which is why during the hearing, what you heard was um, members of the, the panel who were hearing this case saying they had some questions about how 15 points as a penalty specifically was arrived at and also about whether it was fair that Juventus had effectively been tried twice for the same facts. Again, they were this whole Plus Valenza capital gains case that was assessed with a whole bunch of teams in 2021-2022. Um, they were absolved because eventually the Italian Football Federation's court said, look, we we can't um, put an objective price on footballers. So if they say this player's worth this much when they're doing an exchange with that team, that's just what they're worth. Um, and in case, maybe I should say that quickly, in case anyone has missed this story rumbling on for years. The reason that's relevant is because effectively what you can do um, when you are reporting the sale of a player, you can report the price that you sold them for the full amount on your balance sheet. When you're buying a player, you amortize it. This is standard accounting practice. So you bring in a player on a four-year contract. The price that you pay for them is spread on your accounts over the four years of that contract. So if you buy someone for 20 million, you're only putting down 5 million a year. If you sell someone for 20 million, you're putting 20 million in revenue on. So when you trade a player for 20 million with another player who you've also valued at 20 million, effectively you're saying we've brought in 20 million, but we're only spending 5 million this year. So you're just, you're only putting off the pain, but you're effectively creating um, value on your on your balance sheet. Lots of clubs do this. Juventus, after these wiretaps, were accused of sort of taking the, the mechanism too far in effect. And there's always been some ambiguity about exactly what that means. And we don't know fully what the judgment of the Italian Olympic Committee is, because as has been the case, every step of this process, we get a judgment and then we get and we'll give you the full details in 30 days time or up to 30 days time. So we're now waiting for the full reason as to why the appeal um, succeeded or at least had it had the penalty points penalty for now revoked. But what we heard in the hearing was these concerns being raised by the Italian Olympic Committee's panel, as I said, that perhaps um, it wasn't fair to try Juventus twice on the same charges and also just questioning where the 15 points specifically came from, especially given the Italian Football Federation's own prosecutor only asked for nine point penalty to begin with. So everything is still on the table. The, the case goes back to the appeals court. They could still get a points penalty. But for now, it's been vacated. Nikki, I think the fascinating thing with this is Juventus's mental strength and the way that they've been prepared by Allegri has been has been really impressive. They always said Allegri always said that he felt they were going to get the points back and they played like they were going to get the points back. I think talking about doing that and actually doing that in practice are, are two very different things, and they carried that off really well. But since they've got the points back they've been in this quite poor run of form. So they've lost three successive games in in Serie A. And now they've lost the second leg of the, the Coppa semi-final last night to, to Inter. So Inter go on to the, the, the Coppa Italia final as, as, as well. What has happened here, do, do you think? Um, on the footballing side, I, I think... Max Allegri did this very sort of impressive job for a long time of keeping his players motivated despite that points penalty, saying, look, we're not focused on that. We focus on the points on the pitch. And that's why they were able to be competitive um, despite it for a long time. But there's all season been this discussion with Juventus of 
winning a corto muso by a short head. It's a horse racing term because Allegri is a, a big horse racing um, fan. And, and the whole sort of um, narrative of the season is we don't have to be impressive. We don't have to be brilliant. We just got to win. We just got to get the goal that makes a difference. And it, it, with with this season particularly, there's been times with, with Juventus when Allegri was in charge, when they were running to, well, he was there for a good chunk of those those nine consecutive league titles. Um the there was a time when that felt an irresistible narrative it felt like yeah it's just Juventus in the end they always get the gold in the end they always win but this season it's almost felt more like an excuse like it's felt more like oh well this is sort of uh, an, an idea we cling to but the performances really haven't been that compelling so when when it tips to the last few results and they aren't winning it kind of just feels like well this is kind of the reality of their football catching up to them they weren't that great when they were winning and they're not that great now they just haven't got really sort of um, a compelling identity on the pitch. They don't have a compelling style of football. They don't create many chances at all. And when they run into a team like they did in the in the Coppa Italia against Inter, who are capable of playing some good football, who are capable of, of creating chances and scoring a goal, they just don't look that great. Um, there's been some circumstantial stuff to it. Um, the, the game before was against Napoli in the league. And I don't think it would have been a scandal if they'd drawn that game. In the end, they conceded a, a winning goal in for, for Napoli in, in injury time. But overall, my honest answer is Juventus weren't that good before. They're not that good now. And they really, really lack um, anything compelling up front, which is damning when you think Dusan Vlaovic is the man up front who they spent, what was it, 70 million euros on? unsigning mm. that the, the lack of sharpness up front is is really glaring with this team and i think it's fair to question how much of that is the personnel and how much of that is does allegri know how to play a side of football that gets the most out of a player like dusan vlavic and that's only one of the several stories in italy that we're going to cover uh, today but at least juve uh, we're expecting them to uh, make top four anyway aren't we yeah, um, I, I just want to like I should add quickly on Juventus. I mean, look, if you want to present a kind version of the story, Paul Pogba, who they spent a great amount of energy and effort signing in the summer, has been injured for the entire season. Chiesa has only sort of been slowly coming back from injury. They have had some players missing. But the, the positive spin on it for them is they are third. Take away that points penalty and they are third in the table. Yes, they've lost some games recently, but they are currently on course to get into the top four. But the top four races, as you've already sort of alluded to, incredibly competitive both Milan clubs Milan and Inter went on horrible runs which really feel like they were just caused by the fact they were focused on getting to a Champions League semi-final when you look at the sort of results around their Champions League quarterfinals indeed some of the teams they sent out I mean Stefano Pioli at Milan sent a team out against Bologna who are playing well with 10 changes from the first leg of his game against Napoli in the Champions League so there's been some real distraction amongst those two teams and in the meantime what has also been happening is the two Rome clubs have been going great guns Lazio are second in the table and deservedly so Maurizio Sarri's got them playing some of that really fun exciting Sarri ball that, that, that we know his teams can do at their best and that's despite some injuries he's dealt with as well Chiro Immobile's been nothing like the fact that he normally is for that team um and Roma and uh, Jose Mourinho had been also on quite a nice run although they did lose 3-1 to Atalanta on Monday night well we'll come back to Roma and Jose Mourinho because Andy's been giving advice to on the continent listeners and every now and then they take his advice we'll come to that very interesting Andy but the question from Takim <laughs> on Twitter 
Nikki, is um, with Juve now pushing into the top four because of these restored 15 points, what are the ramifications? What are the ramifications for Inter if they fail to make the Champions League? Well, I suppose one answer I could give you is they'd be a lot less serious if they also win the Champions League this season, which they can do. They're in the semi-final. I know everyone sort of is completely dismissive of the idea that either Italian team could win it. And I understand why. Anyone who watched Manchester City last night got a good reminder of what a juggernaut they are. The other team they're playing in their semi-final of Real Madrid, who are the reigning champions. Whichever Italian team emerges from that semi-final is going to be an underdog. But I also think it's maybe a little bit too dismissive to just throw out the idea that that um, an Italian team can win a, a one-off game of football against either of these clubs. Um, but certainly if, if Inter miss out on... Um, on Champions League revenues next season, it's it's going to be hugely damaging. I mean, their wage bill is is huge. Um, Inter are sort of off the pitch, really not in a, a happy place. They've got ownership who, for years, have effectively been um, almost non not non participatory um, ownership. Yes, Stephen Zhang, the the club president, who sort of represents his family, um, Suning, as their owner, is very sort of day to day present and involved. But the, the Suning can't and won't spend any money on the club that is losing money hand over fist. And there's no current solution on the horizon. There's lots of talk about new buyers, but it's still not happened. So the um, the, the, the medium term outlook at Inter is not great and Champions League revenues are really important. What would it mean in terms of decisions about management? I think it would be a good chance that Simone Inzaghi would lose his job. But Simone Inzaghi is this sort of great enigma because, yeah, results in the league this season have definitely been on the whole disappointing. But he also just got Inter to another cup final. They won the cup last season uh, domestically. They've won the Supercoppa both seasons he's been there. And he's got his team in a Champions League semi-final. So his cup record is is something else. Like he's got his team consistently winning really big cup games. And as I've said, of course Inter aren't the favourites. I'm not even sure they're the favourites for their tie against Milan. But it's not impossible that Inter finish this season as Champions League winners. Okay, Nikki. Well, you've sold me on in, uh, <laughs> or, or, or on Simone Inzaghi as being the new Carlo Ancelotti. I, th- I think we've settled that here, <laughs> here and now, uh, the cup specialist. But um, of all these doubts over Inter at the moment, one of the biggest ones is, is, is Romelu Lukaku. Because... Mm. Um, until the weekend, he got those two against Empoli. He'd not scored a, a non-penalty goal in Serie A since August, which is extraordinary. Um, it's been clear for a while that Inter aren't really planning on, 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 on taking him back next season. Now, the chat in the Italian press this week has been, he's so freaked by the idea of going back to Chelsea that he's really getting a wriggle on to, to convince them between now and the end of the season. I mean, because he's paid so much money and he's not been brilliant in the last year and a half I think it's quite difficult to know in European terms where to put him I think it was um, David Cartledge who floated to me you know maybe he would be an interesting Lewandowski replacement at at Bayern if he was if he was super fit because they're clearly looking for some sort of Lewandowski replacement going into next season how do you assess what happens for Lukaku between now and the end of the season I I mean Inter Inter can't afford to keep him, I don't think. Uh, they've got... And last year's accounts, Inter lost, I think, 140 million euros. Like Oof. I said, they've got an ownership who can't invest and they've got a, they're have got a club that's losing money hand over fist. There's a real problem there. Now, 
they've got Beppe Marotta on board, who's a master at pulling rabbits out of hats in the transfer market. And I think bringing Lukaku back to begin with was sort of seen as one of those. Um, but how you justify keeping him as one of your club's highest earners when he's not scoring goals, you can't. And maybe if he finished this season in incredible form, it would become one of those rabbits that he's obliged to pull out of a hat again. But I, I think the the sort of... The, the, the business reality of it is it's very, very hard for Inter to keep him. And I, I actually do feel some sort of sympathy for him because I was saying this recently after their game against Salernitana when he missed some extraordinary chances. I mean, really like unmissable chances. I, I was saying to people, he actually played one of his best games I think he's played in ages. He was in the right mm. places constantly, but the ball just will not go in for him. And I tend to think when it comes to strikers, if you're doing that, if you're always in the right places and you're doing the right things, it will tip for you eventually. And maybe it has now for him that he finally has scored again. We'll see. Um, could he be a good fit somewhere else? Lukaku's just generally sort of a bit of a sort of frustrating player sometimes because I think when he's in his optimum condition, as we saw at, Inter, at Conte's Inter, he's unplayable sometimes it feels mm. like but even for this season it's felt like a lot of the season he wasn't in that condition I think he might be getting towards it again so your decision about signing him if you're a top European club it's not that I don't think he can do it for a, a, a big club because I think he can but I think you really have to believe that you can keep him in that condition mm. and that's a, a conversation for fitness staff and for I guess a a, a very sort of cold-headed assessment to be made if you ever get him in for a physical? Well, I was about to ask that question because he looked like he was carrying an extra load of mm. timber on him. Um, more than I remember him, he was always a chunky fella, but against Empoli, uh, it's not that you immediately see it with the naked eye that he's um, not at top fitness, but because he scored two good, good goals, well, definitely in the second yeah. goal was a really good guy, I thought. But... Yeah, what's what, what's gone wrong with his fitness? But he's not where he was. When you go back a few years and look at him, he's not, is he, Tom? Like, he's, he's, he's been... He, he, he's never been sort of super nimble, um, the most sort of, I don't know, fleet-footed player on the pitch. But he was he was different to this. I agree with you completely. Like, he wasn't plodding the way he is now. And, and, and then that's, a, like I said, it's an assessment that must be visible to the athletic trainers who work with him I think if you're working with them up close they must see those differences and perhaps the reality is just that Antonio Conte and his staff were some of the best there have been at getting that very best out of him I know if I've ha having a wicked little thought here uh, guys but I, I just I just wonder if say if Jose Mourinho didn't continue at, at, at Roma and say that Antonio Conte pitched up there, has, as has been mooted oh as, a, as, as, as a possibility. Imagine they sell Abraham, Lukaku goes there, Conte gets Lukaku into fit, and Roma play with a super fit Lukaku up front next season. I'm just, I'm just putting it out there as a wild possibility. <laughs> I, do you know I saw a headline just earlier about Mourinho moving house in Rome? So I don't know if that's a good sign or a bad sign. If it means <laughs> sort of, you know, preparing to, to get on out or if it's, you know, laying down some roots more. That's a fun idea. And actually, um, from Roma's point of view, um, I think it's strange, isn't it? Because last season, Tammy Abraham was so good. This season, it has felt like 
centre forward is a missing piece of the puzzle for them. Mm. Obviously, Paolo Dybala, when he's been there, has been brilliant, but he's never going to be your your number nine in the classic sense. He's much happier playing off the attacker, being the sort of um, number 10 type role, being in a supporting role. And without Abraham scoring consistently, they they, they have struggled um, up front. And I mean, they're, they're in a fascinating position right now, Roma. And I think about, um, I was saying Inter could win the Champions League. Roma or Juventus could very well win the Europa League. Those are both also... Um, paths into the Champions League for next season and um and and certainly not unthinkable would also perhaps feel like a very Jose Mourinho way to say goodbye wouldn't it to win the Europa League <laughs> and then get to walk off saying I was here two years and I won two European trophies who else could do that um Nicky I think uh, you'll find I think you'll find the official ramble position is that he's going to win the Conference League win the Europa League and win the Champions League in successive Champions seasons League that's the plan as well that's the plan I mean that yeah. would to be honest with you that would really genuinely be something that would cement him forever as as mm. as, as, as special as, as he says he is if he managed to do that with Roma but yeah I I don't know that's a bit too speculative for me that possibility of Conte in, in Rome it certainly would be a a fun story given all the, the history between them um but as i've said many times on on the podcast Mourinho is loved in rome the 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 fans have bought in a hundred percent to what he's selling and they fill the stadium every week and um i don't know if they're going to be good enough to get into the top four but the fact they are in another european semi-final and um a bit worried for them about this Chris Smalling injury, to be honest with you. Both Smalling and Wijnaldum injuries are going to hit them significantly, but Smalling's been really, really good. I think it's not a coincidence that he gets injured and they ship three goals right away. But yeah, one of many finely poised stories going into this last part of the season, for sure. Well, we'll talk about Roma now, because Andy, you might remember you were giving some advice to Jose on Twitter um, a few weeks back. It was a couple of weeks back. Anyway, um, Jose's responded to your advice. And by the way, you can get in touch with us anytime during the course of the week at Football Ramble at Dotton, at Andy Brassel and at Nicky Bandini. Uh, Jose on Twitter says, Andy, I followed your advice and went to my first ever Serie R stroke Roma game last Sunday. Well, they beat Udinese 3-0. Can... Mourinho, and he has an exclamation mark there. I think the exclamation mark is equivalent of a thumbs up. Well done. Applaud Andy for that. Can Mourinho get them back into the top four is the question, though. I love the fact that the message is, is, is from Jose rather than Jose. <laughs> I think, uh, I don't know if he's returning from his latest stadium ban and uh, that's why he's just, uh, he's, he's come back in. I, th- I agree with Nicky. I, th- I think it's, it's, it's fascinating because I think Roma making the top four would uh, not be undeserved. But we saw everything in that Atalanta game. They've been brilliant recently. They've been really good. They've defended like a Mourinho mm-hmm. team. Like you say, the atmosphere around the club is absolutely incredible at the moment. And I think that's what Jose, Jose the, the tweeter, not Jose the coach, has, has has been referring to. The the atmosphere there in, in the, the Olympico is incredible. You know, he, he fills the ground. It's, it's, it's brilliant. They're eating out the palm Did of his hand. Did everyone see like, that moment? during the final semi quarter final where they just did the impromptu anthem before extra time i mean that was yes. brilliant because the, the, the roma anthem is always something special you know that andy but like yeah mm. when they just sort of without the prompting from the speaker it just kicked off again it was incredible it's it's, it's magnificent and you, you just think that it's, it's something you can't really quantify in in in, in top fours or, or, or trophies he's brought he's brought something very special back there he, he really has 
Um, and I think that's why when there's this speculation linking in with other clubs, it would be a real shame. I think they fit each other perfectly and I would love to see that continue. I would love to see him think, well, hang on, where else am I going to be loved like this? Uh, uh, mm. But I think what you touched on before is absolutely right. Everything that went wrong in the Atalanta game, I mean, he was saying afterwards, I can't fault the players. They did the best. We actually played quite well. But of course, they, they let in a couple of cheap goals. Of course, there's that Rui Patricio blunder that he would he would never normally make um, for the third goal right after Pellegrini's got them back in it. And then mm. you look at the fragility of Dybala because when Dybala's on it, and they brought him on in that final game, he, he couldn't really run, could he? You know, But he still turned the game for them. And actually, mm. the click between him and Abraham, I think he's, it just shows what an intuitive footballer he is, shows what a great footballer he is. He's you know, made Tammy Abraham, who works really, really hard anyway, someone who's valuable to the team even when he's not scoring goals. But I just wonder if this mounting of injuries is going to prevent them from getting what they probably deserve. Yeah, Dybala is such a fascinating um, case because, yes, his fragility is is so very well documented and that's why Juventus allowed him to leave. But when we were talking just now about Juventus and, and their season and what's not right about it, I mean, the difference a player like Dybala would make mm. to that team and, yeah. and having that little bit of, of, of something special behind the attack. He scored, even though he's been injured plenty, he scored more goals than anyone at Juventus has. Juventus' top, joint top scorer is Adrian Rabiot. So it, it, it's, it's mundane to say, but still true, that having a world-class forward in your squad can win you a lot of games. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.
Let's move on now to talk about what's going on in the Bundesliga. We expect, don't we, that the Bundesliga will be dominated by Bayern Munich. But at the moment, it's Dortmund that are making a lot of the headway. Andy, um, can they win it? Well, I think you have to say they, they can at the moment. Whether they will is, is a different question. Um, but they've just gone to the top of the table with five games left. And it's completely unprecedented. To rewind us a little bit, let's look at when we came back from the Qatar World Cup. Dortmund lost both games before they split up for Christmas. And they were sixth. They were in sixth position in the Bundesliga. Now, of course, if we go back to the years before Bayern won it 10 in a row, and before Dortmund won it two in a row, um, you think that there is precedent in the Bundesliga in the, in, in the last 15 years or the last 20 years for teams to go on this sort of crazy run in the second half of the season that gets them there. That's how Stuttgart became champions. That's how Wolfsburg with Edin Dzeko and um, Grafic up front became became champions. Uh, but it's, it's something that we haven't had for a while. You know, we've not had a lot of, of, of genuine title races. Now, some will say, and we discussed over the last couple of weeks, the the, the difficulties that Bayern have had and the difficulties that Thomas Tuchel has, has, has had in his opening weeks as, as Bayern coach. And again, it was it, it was poor at Mainz. They were 1-0 up and, and let it slip, conceding three goals in, in 14 minutes in, in, in the second half. And for the first time, Tuchel got a little bit of stick over it because the, the language he used actually in the press conference afterwards, there was a lot of, um, I don't know when he was asked what the problems of the team were, and it's very uncertain, very unbiased. Like you know, that's not what he was. He was brought there for to um, present that sort of image, I, I suppose. Even though people realise that the, the problems are from higher up, but there's still this feeling in the back of your mind. Okay, they've dropped the ball, but can Dortmund respond? And with the scheduling, apart from this Friday where they play Bochum on the on, on the Friday night. Bayern are going first in a, a lot of the games between now and the end of the season. So it's a particular test of Dortmund's nerve because, okay, Bayern dropped the ball at Mainz, but can Dortmund go out there and get the job done against a very out-of-form Eintracht Frankfurt? Well, for a while, it looked like they might psych themselves out. There were bits in that game where it wasn't as comfortable as it looked on paper. They won 4-0 in the end. And Daniel Marlin, who's having his, his, his best moment in a Dortmund shirt, um, was, was a huge part of that with his, his, his two goals. But I think when we talk about rhetoric, the rhetoric from Sebastian Kell, the sporting director, and from Edin Terzic, the coach, both in the last week, they said, right, we're in it to win it. And that, that's never said. That's never said at, at Dortmund. They haven't dared to in the past. I, I really liked how Terzic framed it, Andy, which is like, I, I saw him giving this interview and he was saying, you know, at the start of the season, you know, you've got to try and compete with Bayern Munich for 34 games. That's really hard. Mm. But now it's, we've got to try and compete with Bayern Munich for five games. Now that starts to sound like something you can do. And mm. I think that's a sort of really sort of interesting framing from the manager's point of view that you've basically turned the whole season into a five-game season now. Like, that's it. That's what's left is can we beat Bayern Munich in a five-game season? And he's right. Like, when you say it like that, can you be better than this team for 34 games compared to can you be better than them for five games? It suddenly starts to sound more plausible well they've they've got to uh, Bayern have got to look at that league as the only thing that is going to make their season worth having played for isn't it because they've they've lost or they're out of all the other tournaments that they were playing for it does seem as if since Tuchel took over I know it may not be his fault but it does seem Andy as if since Tuchel took over 
that Bayern have gone from bad to worse. In terms of, you know, the competitions that they were uh, still competing in, and I, I wonder whether it's too late now. And this is why the question of can Dortmund really win it? Because arguably, if it was a one-to-one, Bayern would beat Dortmund as they did earlier on in the season. But mm. if uh, Bayern are now on the sort of downward spiral because of whatever has gone on higher up than Tuchel or whatever, this is the opportune moment for Dortmund to look at that Bundesliga and say, it's ours, isn't it? I, th- I think you're right. And um, I-, I just wondered where you were going with that, wh- where you said, I wonder if it's too late when you talked about the appointment of Tuchel. I thought, hang on, he doesn't want him to get Stellini'd here, does he? <laughs> <laughs> but but I-, I think I think that would be a bit too much, to, to-, to be honest. I- I think I'll stay out of the- that one. The- the- but the point... The, but yeah, yeah, vested interest. I think the the point you're you're making though is is a really interesting one, and it's something that's not been um, it's not been ignored in in Germany. So, if we're looking at the pure numbers, everything has got worse since Tuchel's taken over. The, the, you know, and that's before we get to the infighting in the dressing room, which was something that Nagelsmann was having to really struggle to keep a lid on, as we said in previous weeks. The fact that um, that he's lost, um, he's he's now lost. Uh, three games in his, his, his first seven, which is the same as Julian Nagelsmann lost in his last 37. So, so that, that is, that is the, the, the bare numbers of it. And then you think of the games that he has lost. Um, the, the game that um, got them knocked out of the cup, uh, the, the Pokal against Freiburg, first time they'd ever lost at home to Freiburg. The game they lost in Manchester where they got absolutely marmalised by City. And now the one that's got them knocked off the top of the table. So it's not just like he's lost any three games. He's lost three very pivotal games. Also, I think in terms of Dortmund taking that opportunity, as, as, as you say, um, not only have they done it to go top of the table with these five games left, you look at their running, their running's decent. And that was always the advantage for them. You, you know how, whichever league we're following, I know you listeners will feel the same. You keep looking back at the fixture list and you're thinking, okay, it's the third week of April. And then you look at it and you think, actually, there's quite a lot of games left because of the World Cup. And, you know, I think whichever league you're following the most closely, you've definitely felt that at some time over the last month, two months, any time since the Qatar World Cup, actually. And that has worked, I think, in Dortmund's favour because they go and get their yearly battering at, at Bayern, as you pointed out, Dotton, and that, that, was, that was Tuchel's first game in charge. You know, they do have... They, they do have an inferiority complex when it comes into that game at the Allianz Arena. But they go to that and they lose. And you can go, well, OK, we're still only two points behind at the top and we've got like eight games left or whatever. And now for the rest of the season, it doesn't matter the head-to-head between them and Bayern. They're in front point, points-wise and they don't have to play them again. You know, they have to play. Mm-hmm. I, I think the highest team they play is in seventh place, which is Mainz on, on, on the last day of the season. So... Look, opportunities do not get any more golden than this. Whether Dortmund can keep their nerve, who, who knows? But look, it is a golden opportunity. When we when we talk about all this stuff with the managers, of course it's it's essential because managers change teams and, and how they line up changes everything. But I, I just sort of thinking about how it's happened these last couple of weeks and is it too simple to ask the question of like, would this have happened if Robert Lewandowski was there? Because they've been ahead the last two weeks, right? Like, if you just had that that one player who's going to convert a 1-0 lead into a 2-0 lead, at which point 
your opponent starts to go, oh, you know, it's Bayern, where, where, where we always end up against Bayern, and you give up that little bit of hope. I just, it feels like this is a team that lets you off the hook, which is not what you think of Bayern doing. Bayern were the team that would never let anyone off the hook when they were steamrolling their way to another Bundesliga title. Yeah, I don't think that's unfair, although obviously we'll come to Lewandowski's form with Barcelona in a, in, in a yeah. little while, um, spoiler alert. I, I think... The, the the thing that has always struck me is not just the goals, it's been the dressing room dynamic. That, that, that's been the difference. As we, we, we said, it's, it's just mucked around with the, with the Bayern hierarchy and it's made for a very unsettled dressing room. That was a problem for Nagelsmann and I, I think it's a, a a problem for for Tuchel. But, you know, if you think Dortmund have, have, have had those issues, you know, Sebastian Allaire, of course, who they recruited to nominally replace Erling Haaland and who in many ways is, is is a better fit for them because of the fact that he brings a lot of their attacking midfielders and nine and a half type type players into into, into play with his all round game, um, and, and you know he's recovered from cancer this season. It's, it's it's an extraordinary story. Anthony Modest has not been a fit at all. You've had injuries to Yusuf and Makoko, um, and it has really been a team effort. But I think. When we talk of leadership and we're talking about Thomas Tuchel, we need to talk about Edin Terzic as well because mm. he's the coach who returned to Dortmund at the start of the season to replace uh, Marco Rosa. Now, they always kept him in the tent. They didn't want to get rid of him after he did a great job as caretaker before and um, won the DFB Pokal. But when it was going badly before Christmas, people were saying, he's too inexperienced, um, he's, he's out of his depth he, he can't deal with this he's a nice bloke so they want him around but is he the coach that's going to get Dortmund anywhere probably not and you know there, there was there was talk about who they, they might get next but what he did he used the winter break pretty well so they always go off to Marbella uh, um, in winter Dortmund in, in January normally and um, he just sat down with his senior players he sat down with Emre Can um, Mats Hummels um, Marco Royce and he just said to those guys, "Look, I need more out of you. You know, you need to you need to be able to lead the team." And that he was able to have the authority to do that and specifically get through to to them. I mean, we've we've seen it all in in, in recent weeks. I mean, those those players. It's not the young players that have been a problem for Dortmund over the last couple of years. It's the expensively salaried senior players who they haven't really got enough out of and have been a massive drain on them resource-wise. Emre Can has been brilliant since the, 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 the turn of the year. He's been absolutely sensational. And then on the other hand, you've got Royce and Hummels, who are both out of contract at the end of the season, who Tersic has kind of made them accept reduced roles. He said to Royce, well, basically, we're not going to lean on you every week. We need you when we need you. And we, when we don't, you're on the bench. And it's been the same for Hummels. And then Hummels um, came in like last week when they were 2 0 up actually against Eintracht Frankfurt and panicking a bit and under the pump and Eintracht were creating some stuff. Hummels defended brilliantly and then went up the other end and, and, and scored the third goal that made sure of the game. So to, to have those experienced players on board, fully implicated and prepared to accept whatever role the coach gives them, I says I think says a lot for not just the way that he works things out tactically, but for the way he can manage the dressing room in a, in, a, in a human sense. It's really important. And that is something that both Tuchel and Nagelsmann have struggled with at Bayern this season. 
Well, that's just the question, isn't it? Because uh, although what you say about Dortmund is really fascinating, I can hear our listeners asking, has that punch-up in the Bayern dressing room been sorted out between uh, Leroy um, Sane and Sadio Mane? Well, I think it's a it's a symptom rather than a cause. I, I think that's that's the issue, as, as, as we were saying before. The fact that, um, as, as we said last week, when when Lewandowski is playing, you you know what's what. You know he's your starting mm-hmm. centre forward. There's no question about the hierarchy. When it's everyone battling to to be the man, it's far more difficult. It's far more difficult for any coach to to to, to manage. And I think the expectation was that okay, well Nagelsmann's 35, maybe maybe he can't do this. But then again, you bring in someone who's won a Champions League, who's senior, who's got a reputation for being a little bit more edgy in. In Tuchel, and it's pretty clear from what happened in Manchester that he can't deal with it either. If if they don't win the league, is Tuchel just definitely out? Is what's yeah? How does that play out if they don't win the league? I think that I think that he he won't be made to carry the can for it. I don't think he should be made to carry the can mm. for it. I think the one on the hot seat is Hassan Salahamizic, the sporting director, mm. because he made the decision to dump Nagelsmann. He made the decision not to get a direct replacement for, for Lewandowski. And they've done very well out of the fact that Eric Maxim Choupo-Moting has been brilliant for this season. But really, he shouldn't have had to be. You know, They should have had a, a, a proper replacement. And they decided to go with something a little bit different in Sadio Mane. So um, that's, that's not quite worked, um, in, injury aside. So I think the real question is around Khan and around Salihamidzic. Nikki, you're going to love this because apparently they've been singing it's one nil to the Barcelona in Spain. <laughs> yeah, I thought you'd like that. I, thought, I didn't write that myself, you know. Barcelona did slip up though. They did slip up this week, even though Carlo Ancelotti, before they slipped up, was saying that league table is flattering uh, to Barcelona and unfair to Real Madrid. The question is, is it? Well, I mean, in terms of the 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 sort of the the weekend result, um, losing to Rayo Vallecano, this is sort of um, uh, I don't know. It's it's been a bit of a recent sort of bogey game for them, um, and uh, and and so perhaps it's not like a totally shocking result. It definitely feels like Barcelona are, are sort of edging towards this title in the least Arsenal impressive way possible fashion. and I, <laughs> I i don't know if it's if it's i don't know i i think there's something going on in 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 lots of leagues and and it was alluded to in the last segment as well like i i think the world cup in the middle of the season has very clearly impacted this end of the season i think there's a lot of tired legs out there and i think when you're sort of front running in the way that barcelona are where you're so far out in front um a bit the same as what's happened to Napoli in Italy. There comes a point where perhaps you get a bit too sort of, um, I don't know what it is. I was going to say too complacent and that still feels like overstating it. But I think all football, all sporting success is driven by a certain amount of competitive tension. And when you take that competitive tension out of athletes, they lose a little something. And I think perhaps there hasn't been that sense of competitive tension for Barcelona for a little while. Even though yes, they could still, in theory, still, um, and still blow it, but I don't know. It's 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 sort of this game particularly gives its own um, 
neat sort of bookending the Vallecano game because they did lose here under um, Koeman 18 months ago. And I think of that team, there's literally one player who's still in the team, which is um, uh, Ter Stegen in goal. Other than that, the entire team has changed. So Xavi has conducted, is continuing to conduct this transformation of the side. Um, and I guess the question is whether or not that transformation is going as well as everyone hoped it would. I mean, it's... I think before we go on to that, I think the, the Raya thing is, is is really interesting, as, as as you say, because since they've been promoted, they've played four games against Barcelona, won three of them, drawn one now, mm. which is, is 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 pretty extraordinary for a, a team of their resource. Although they they they're going for Europe at the at the moment, the the, the question about the, the the style is 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 interesting, and you brought in an element to it actually though that I hadn't really considered. That I think we have to make a little bit of allowance for Xavi in terms of the tiredness post world cup because maybe you do have to maybe you do have to play to contain a, a little bit more i mean it's the reverse of what normally happens in international tournaments isn't it because in in international tournaments up until italy win euro 2000 um, <laughs> to, uh, 2000 uh, 2020 um yeah. uh, uh, you know people think the only way that you can win an international tournament nowadays is by defending by conserving mm. energy and italy uh, uh, the, the exception that, that that proves the rule, but well, I, I was I was I was part of a, a panel at, at an Italian literary festival this weekend where we were talking about Italy's Euros win, and um, a really sort of um, I thought interesting point made by um, my colleague on that panel, Emanuele Atturo, who's a, a journalist for L'Ultimo Warmer website in Italy, who was saying, yes, you know, Italy came in with these lovely ideals of of playing a more attractive football and Mancini was more expansive and specifically we were talking about sort of Dutch influences at the time but when push came to shove at the end of the tournament actually Italy won it in the most Italian way possible <laughs> and, and I, I actually think there is for me I, I feel like I'm contradicting where you were going with this Andy so I'm sorry but I, I, I sort of feel like for me actually like the current learning of European football, of knockout football, which is different to league football, mm. um, is actually sort of, I was going to use the word counter-attacking football, and I heard the voice of Antonio Conte in my head saying, it's not counter-attack, it's ripartenze, it's, it's um, you know, it's, it's your fast break football, but actually sort of, it's not just about holding the ball, it is about your ability to strike fast and that can mm. be done from a defensive stance almost and indeed um, that's one of the things I think even Man City have learned a bit is they don't always need to have the ball to be crushingly effective when they go forward so I, yeah I don't know if that's contradicting what you were about to say Andy where you were about to make a point about no, I don't, football I, I, don't, I don't think it is actually I, th I think um, it's, it's, it's something that um, we're seeing from Barcelona actually I, I think mm. when Xavi goes back to Barcelona you're expecting to be touched by the hand of footballing God. You know, it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's something that we talked about the atmosphere that Mourinho created at Roma. The atmosphere that Xavi created, almost inadvertently, actually, well, not totally inadvertently, but a little bit inadvertently, after arriving back at Barcelona, when they've got a squad that's not La Liga winning worthy, that's not Champions League qualifying worthy. I saw them almost go out and they did go out the, the next match day in uh, match day five of the Champions League last season against um, Benfica. And this is post-Messi, 
team looks terrible. Um, they've got a lot of players playing for them who are quite frankly not good enough for, for Barcelona. And yet the atmosphere as it's pouring down with 35,000 people is amazing because everyone's on board with the ideology, the idea mm. that, that Xavi is going to take, take them not just to trophies, but to this, this promised land. And he's got a way of saying, look, we're Barcelona and we do things in a certain way. So even if we're not winning, we've got to try to win. We've got to try to play football. And then this season, that's been kind of contradicted. I mean, um, this is them losing at Raya Vallecano, getting into a point where that is that now that now they've conceded double figures goals wise for the season it was nine nine in 30 games before this and mark andre tishtegan matched a clean sheet record that no one really thought would be matched uh, claudio bravo's going going back a couple of years 23 clean sheets but 23 clean sheets in in, in 30 games is it's, it's extraordinary but you just wonder and it goes back to what we were talking about with allegri at the start you, you know how sustainable is this because if if the results come and bite you on the arse, like, I mean, this one at Real, Real doesn't really matter, I suppose, because they will go on and win the league. And Real Madrid were absolutely battered by Tati Castellanos uh, at Girona the night before. So they maintained that 11-point lead at the top. But, you know, what what do we expect from from Barcelona in the, in, the, in the medium term? And I guess that's the question. Going back to what you were saying, Nicky, it's a really interesting point. Is Xavi bringing them down or is European football just just changing a, a, a little bit I mean I still I still think there are before you answer that I still think there are kinks to be ironed out I mean I think you look at that second goal they conceded at Rio last night and it struck me that they have got an outstanding goalkeeper and as we said before that the way they defend is I think quite risk inherent and we saw that in the two games against Manchester United in the Europa League where they conceded four goals but Frankie Dion gets punked by Frank Garcia in the centre circle. Five seconds later, the ball's in the net. You know, there's no one to really block him off. And that, that turns out to, to to be the winning goal. I just, I, it's sort of bringing back another sort of full circle in our conversations today. But um, I, I was thinking, um, kind of mirroring what I was saying about um, Juventus and, and what the difference is between the winning and losing. Is it just, you know, having someone putting the ball in the net? And how much of Barcelona's drop off right now it's just that Lewandowski isn't scoring that much like he he Mm. was scoring a lot early this season and he isn't now and and to me this is this is a big conversation all over Europe it's why Victor Osimhen is going to command a huge sum and it's not a new conversation because having a good number nine has always made a big difference in football but I I do feel like there's maybe a slight shortage of those players at the moment there's there's a few standout examples who are um sort of steal our attention and, and dominate it like Erling Haaland. But as your Lewandowski's get up in years, he's 34 now, how many teams do have the the sort of reliable figure who, who can do that for you? And it doesn't, your goals don't have to come from there. Obviously, there's all sorts of different ways to have it. But I do think um, it crosses my mind with this Barcelona team that we get into these sort of big narratives of, oh, is the, the football right or is it wrong where it wasn't before? And do you think, well how much that is just just literally when you've got a goal scorer who's in form and a goal scorer who isn't. And Lewandowski is getting a lot of the stick. Is he getting the stick unfairly, Andy, given that he hasn't done too badly in terms of goals scored this season, but obviously he's nowhere near the level he was at when he was at Bayern Munich. Um, that's a different landscape in any case but is, is he getting the stick unfairly do you think no I, th- I think he has been at, at the buying level for a lot of this season mm. uh, I, th- I think you, you look at the last 
well, apart from that that Rio game um, where, where he scored right at the end last night. Before that, he scored two goals in eight games, and those two goals were against Elche. And, and as Nicky and I were privately saying before, I think we'd fancy our chances of scoring against Elche. <laughs> well, I'd fancy my start chances. You of were scoring. very confident. I was yeah. less confident. <laughs> okay, you, you, I'm, sco- I'm scoring. You're assisting. Okay, that's 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 the deal. Um, you can be our, our trequartista. but I, I, I just I just think. It, it's, it's a case of form is temporary and, and, and class is, is, is permanent. And mm. he's getting himself in the spot. He's missing some unbelievable chances at, at, at the moment, by the way. And the first half of the season, Spain is so convinced by Lewandowski. You know when you see a player at first hand who you've admired from a distance before, and the Spanish, and particularly um, the people from Barcelona, particularly the Catalans, saying... Oh, wow, he's amazing, isn't he? And you know, part of you saying, "Well, of course he's amazing." He's Robert Lewandowski, but mm. a part of you is realizing that they're getting this Lev epiphany because they're looking at him and saying, "Well, okay, we knew you were good. We didn't know you scrapped defenders. We didn't know how much you you did for the team, and we didn't know what, really what art your finishes are." But now they're all discovering that, and he's just having his his little bump in the road, and you know, it happens to all strikers. Lever Epiphany. Let's put that in the back because I'll use it. I definitely will use it. Um, It's time for you both to recommend a game of the week. Uh, Not necessarily for Jose, who went to see Roma play, and thanks Andy for that, but for anybody else who might be listening and fancies watching a game on the telly. uh, Who wants to go first, Andy? I'm going to go Sunday night. Um, well, Sunday early evening, 5pm uh, UK time. You'll find a way of watching it. I'm sure you'll find a way of, of watching it. Uh, Bajiktas versus Galatasaray. Um, I, I think it's going to be fantastic. Um, and uh, why is Yeah, it is. Um, but there's been a lot going on in um, Turkish Super League this week. Um, Bajiktas still have an outside chance of the title, although it's more likely to be one of Galatasaray and Fenerbahce. This could have been the week where Fenerbahce caught up some of the ground because um, on, on Sunday evening, um, Galatasaray were 3-0 down to, to Karo Gumruk, um, Andrea Pirlo's team, and he's doing a, a, a decent job there. A couple of goals from another Italian, Fabio Borini, but um, Galatasaray got themselves back in the game. They ended up getting a draw despite... Um, the very informed Mauro Icardi missing a Penenka, which is you know the worst type of penalty miss that is is is, is possible to have. But, and and then the following day, you had Istanbul Sport getting themselves a, a draw late, late, late against uh, Fenerbahce with with an Eze goal in 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 stoppage time. Um, and the, the sense of deflation um, in the Sukru Sarakolu after after that was was really palpable because they knew that this was their point when Galatasaray had been relentless. This was the weekend where they, they, they could have made a dent and it's still six points. But I think, you know, you look at Galatasaray, it's, it's one, of the, one of the most difficult games they've got left. And they've been very convincing so far this season. They're gradually um, blooding uh, Nicolo Zaniolo and to, to have him off the bench to, to, to give a little go is, is, is pretty good. Like we said, Icardi and Mertens are, are, are clicking, clicking, clicking. They've, they've been absolutely brilliant. And um, they've got one of the best young right-backs in in Europe, I think, in, in, in Sasha Boy, who scored that equaliser against Carol Grimrick as well. On the other hand, Bajiktas, 
Uh, Vincent Aboubacar, having been squeezed at Al Nasser to create, create room for Cristiano Ronaldo because they had too many foreigners, has come back there and has looked pretty good. Uh, Cenk Tosun's looked good recently. Nathan Redmond has been absolutely on fire um, the last three or four weeks. So, and, and the atmosphere is going to be incredible at Vodafone Park. So get into it, I would say. Uh, treat yourself to a kuzu shish. If you want to cook it, go ahead. Uh, otherwise, um, I, I would recommend an excellent local Turkish takeaway and um, get get stuck into all the bread, obviously. We can, um, we can all recommend a local Turkish takeaway, by the way. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we can. And I will, if you tweet me as well. <laughs> and Nikki? Um well, I'm going to recommend you, uh, for once, not going to clash, we're going to go for Sunday morning, if you're in UK time, 11.30am kickoff, which is Inter against Lazio. This is fascinating from a few different directions. First of all, if Napoli beats Salernitana on Saturday, then anything other than a win for Lazio here officially confirms Napoli as the champions. So this could be the game that decides the, the league title. Um, but even if it isn't that, um, there's... As we talked about, huge implications for the top four. Inter trying to get back into the top four. Lazio currently second, playing brilliant football under Maurizio Sarri. Obviously, also, you've got Simone Inzaghi against his former club. There's lots of angles from which this um, could be a, a, a really, really fascinating game, I think. And Lazio, by the way, if anyone hasn't been watching them, have been really worth watching under Sarri. They've been really, really fun at times this season. So that's my game of the week. And since Simone Inzaghi is at the heart of this story, I will take his favorite food his nonna used to make it pizza fritta which also i think ties in perfectly because it's actually a neapolitan dish even though he's not from naples fried pizza it's like a calzone but with ricotta inside and and other fillings it's gone in the fryer instead of going in the oven and it's delicious and and could we have a mars bar fried with that (laughs) (laughs) listen i might come on here and talk about italian food I've had a fried Mars bar twice in my life and both times it was a very special experience that I don't regret. So. <laughs> the Football Ramble is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.